people are so desperate to believe what they want to believe to the extent that health, fitness, and nutrition have all been perverted into what could best be described as, it's more of a religious debate now. It's almost cult-like in thinking. You're listening to The Fitness Industry Podcast, powered by Australian Fitness Network. For articles, resources, and inspiration to grow your fitness business and career, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au, where you can also find a huge range of online and face-to-face courses, accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, with up to a massive 40% discount for members of Australian Fitness Network. In this episode, exercise physiologist and anti-quackery crusader, Dr. Bill Sukala, talks fake science, alternative facts, and the abuse of social media with Network's Oliver Kitchingman. Bill, welcome to the Fitness Industry Podcast. Thanks, Ali. Good to be here today. Bill, you say that quackery or fake science is getting out of control in the fitness industry. How so? I think if I was going to boil it down to one single thing, I would probably point the finger at social media in particular. And the reason I say social media is that there's no curation of the content. And a big part of social media now is people using it for business, for marketing products. And the fact that marketers are generally more interested in profit rather than the truth A lot of people are getting hoodwinked into what we might call fake science or misleading science. So there's the, it's it's all about the headline. It's all about clickbait. We've arrived at a point in time where it's the swipe right, swipe left generation, or it's that time in history where people don't have an attention span long enough to really sit down and vet the information that they're seeing on social media. And one of the things I often talk about in my lectures on this particular topic, so when I, when I talk about health and nutrition, fitness misinformation, I do spend a little bit of time talking about science and what is science anyway. And one of the quotes that I use is from a professor at Yale University in the States. And I'm going to read this to you just to make sure I don't miss anything. He's, Stephen Novella is a professor at Yale, and he says, What do you think science is? There's nothing magical about science. It is simply a systematic way for carefully and thoroughly observing nature and using consistent logic to evaluate results. Which part of that do you disagree with? Do you disagree with being thorough, using careful observation, being systematic, or using consistent logic? <laughs> so, and it, it's so eloquent and so spot on in so many ways. Because, again, we see a tremendous amount of distrust for science and much of that distrust for science the the seeds of of those thoughts or that way of thinking is really coming through social media and again we we can look at social media as both a good and a bad thing on one hand it's democratized the flow of information so I, I think that's actually a good thing but on the other hand because it's not curated and Anyone can post anything online, and there's some really savvy people out there with their own agendas, and sometimes they're even well-intentioned. Maybe it's not even about selling a product or trying to market anything, but they genuinely believe what they believe, and that's it. And they they push that with so much uh, religious fervor that 
some people get swept up in that enthusiasm to the extent that some fitness movements or nutrition supplements, whatever the case may be, or diets, ways of eating, it's almost become cult-like in nature. So there's this line in the sand that we see where you're either with us or you're against us. We want the we want to know the right way versus the wrong way. Give us the black and white answer. And so I think that's really something that's been magnified. I guess that when we look at health and nutrition misinformation, fitness misinformation, and I've been doing this for like 25 years now, so I've seen everything come and go over the years, but never in my entire career of evaluating health and mar- health marketing claims have I seen such a rapid proliferation of misinformation. Um, and the reason for that, again, is social media, it spreads very quickly. It's like putting petrol on the flames. So... And even just recently with Trump being elected and this coining of new phrases like alternative facts and fake news, these sorts of things are not just reserved for politics. It's very much the case with social media as well. So we're seeing a lot of videos and memes and posts by people like David Avocado Wolf. So we'll probably talk a little bit more about him in just a moment. But uh, the fact of the matter is you have people who have their views and they have their opinions, but are they qualified opinions? And so that leads us into that new catchphrase, which is, well, do your own research. And so just recently on the, I forget the name of the show now, what is it? Charlie Pickering's show, The Weekly? The Weekly. Yeah. So that's, uh, if anyone's listening to this overseas, The Weekly is a TV show hosted by a guy named Charlie Pickering. And he hit the nail right on the head. And so he said, do your own research. He said, well, what do you mean by that? Does that mean getting on the internet and doing a Google search and only cherry picking, <laughs> cherry picking the information that confirms your own biases? Uh, or do you mean running major, major clinical trials, <laughs> replicating clinical trials? And, and that's the thing too. It's uh, when we use that expression, do your own research, it's like, well, hold on, let's take a step back. And I can even speak from my own firsthand experience of this. I've done a PhD, not something I bought off the internet. It's actually a real PhD that that took four years of my life. And that was after spending nine years at university collecting other degrees and master's degrees. And so to be able to evaluate research, you have to actually know what the whole research process is. And then not even that, once you understand research, you have to know how to interpret research. So I say to people, look, unless you know what clinical significance is versus statistical significance, unless you know what standard deviation versus standard error of the mean is, unless you know how to calculate statistical power, if you don't know the answers to those things, then you know what, you're not qualified to do your own research. And that's the reason why we have people in certain positions that have done the requisite training in science to be able to provide a good evidence-based and balanced view. So one of the other things, too, when we talk about evidence now, a lot of people don't know this, but there's this proliferation of, I don't, want to, I don't even want to use the word journals, but what we call open access, uh, predatory open access uh, online journals. And the problem with this is marketers love it because they can basically almost fabricate a study. And because these are not actually real journals, they're just some dodgy setup in India or Bangladesh or Pakistan or Philippines or something, they they can literally pay these online predatory journals, thousand bucks, whatever they negotiate, and they'll publish it. But there's actually no 
peer review. And peer review, if you're not familiar with that term, essentially translates to you, ha- you take your work and you submit it to a journal and then it gets sent out to what are called your, well, your peers, your colleagues, people who have the training and the expertise in the area of that particular journal article that you've submitted. And they basically tear it to bits. And it's not because they're trying to be jerks. It's quite the opposite. They're trying to say, did this person use really strict controls? Is this, is this good or junk science? And so once, once something's been through peer review, then we know with reasonable confidence that that information is, well, then it needs to be translated into plain English, basically, and fed to the public. So, Bill, do you feel like the, talking about peer-reviewed studies, that, that's like the gold standard, that's, that's what qualifies something as being able to be quoted as science, as a scientific finding. Should there be, and it would be almost impossible to enforce, I'm sure, but for marketers and advertisers to not be allowed to quote studies unless they have been peer-reviewed, is that something that you, you think could work? It theoretically could work. And the reason I use the word theoretically is because marketers generally tend to have more moves than a tin of worms. It's not about, they generally tend to know the law really well, and they will do everything in their power to do things that might technically be viewed as legal. But the next question is, is what they're doing ethical? And good example of that, I mean, when we talk about evidence, there there are companies out there that cite peer-reviewed evidence. And I've seen companies that have cited peer-reviewed evidence, but yet when I looked at the evidence, it was actually a good journal article. However, and and these articles that I've, that I've checked out, they use really solid uh, research protocols. There was nothing wrong with the research, but what the marketers did was they made these extravagant quantum leaps between what the results actually said and what they were saying in their research. So as a good example of that, there was a company over in the UK that was selling these, essentially they were workout or active wear pants that were made of uh, neoprene, which is wetsuit material. And it basically makes you sweat. So, but when they compared people wearing the shorts versus those not wearing the shorts, it was technically true. There were a couple studies out of two universities. The studies were never published, but the studies were conducted. And so I did a, um, I was on Good Morning America as a, uh, as a expert on this particular topic because I authored a, re- uh, a whole consumer advocacy sort of blog post on this particular product. And the research itself was okay. It wasn't the best I'd seen, but I mean, it, it probably wasn't really worthy of publication, but it, were, it was pretty average for the most part. So, there, I mean, there were pros and cons to it. And the one thing that I did point out is that the actual number of calories burnt, it was technically higher in the, in the subjects wearing the neoprene pants. However, the actual number of calories burnt was extremely small, meaning it was almost negligible. So technically it was true, but it wasn't really ethical. It wasn't a full and fair disclosure to the consumers that they were actually marketing it to. And we do see that with a number of, of products out there and different types of diets. One of the things that's really popular now are these body wraps. And there's a whole bunch of different companies making body wraps and selling them and saying, oh, you're going to lose, you're going to lose centimeters. So I, again, I've, I've dug into this as well. I've looked into the ingredients in these types of products and they will give a, a temp, they might give more of a cosmetic 
induce some sort of cosmetic change to the skin texture, but they do not cause fat loss. You cannot melt fat through the skin. But what they do with their marketing claims is they they very cleverly phrase everything in such a way that it leads the consumer right to the precipice and they they willingly jump off the cliff by themselves and and create their own false conclusions thinking that they're going to burn fat by wearing these body wraps. So again, is it legal? Technically it's legal because they haven't made any false claims, nothing overtly false, but they do it's not ethical. They do lead them down a path and then they stop short of making a false claim. So I guess going back to the original question, first off, with regards to peer review, I mean, you would probably need to get regulatory agencies involved in this. And uh, and you might recall years ago when I was on, hot on the heels of the AbCircle Pro. AbCircle Pro was on the in, this infomercial gadget, and they made some outlandish, unsupported claims. And I finally took them to task. And so that article that I wrote pretty at the time, this was in 2010, went, I mean, I would say, say use the word viral, but I mean it wasn't viral in the millions, but it went it went viral within the fitness industry and eventually got picked up by the regulatory agencies in the U.S., Australia, and New Zealand. So in New Zealand, they were forced to change their marketing claims on TV. Australia, I think they there was some change of their marketing as well, and in the U.S., they were fined twenty five million dollars and eventually shut down. So good guys do win around, but by my estimates, based on the the purchase price of the units and the number of units they sold, they probably made $300 million. So a $25 million fine was nothing more than a parking ticket for them. So, it, you know, it's in a sense, it, being deceptive and misleading can be very profitable. And if you're prepared to pay a fine, it's just a slap on the wrist. So, Bill, the social, the way social media uses this information as well and spreads this misinformation, it's often a case of, you know, buyer beware is all good and well, but if the buyer isn't beware, then too often they'll take notice of this, this information and nothing can be done about it. You raise a really good point on that because a lot of people, they're not stupid. There's, people are not, we might say, oh, they're so stupid. How could they believe that when it looks, it, it's obviously too good to be true. But people are not necessarily stupid, but I think they do not have the ability, the the scientific training to really be able to evaluate and vet claims. Not everyone's a physiologist and understands how the body works down to the cellular level and the chemistry. So it's not that people are stupid, but they are also very emotional. And so what I do tend to see a lot of uh, are emotional arguments. People are so desperate to believe what they want to believe to the extent that health, fitness, and nutrition have all been perverted into what could best be described as, it's more of a religious debate now. It's almost cult-like in thinking. And a good example, all the different diets out there, there's the keto diet and paleo diet. And and look, people say, well, you know, I've tried it and it worked for me. And I said, look, I don't doubt that it worked for you because if you were previously eating cheeseburgers and chips and washing it down with a two liter bottle of Coke, and then the following day you decided you were going to take up exercise and you're going to go to the gym and you're going to start eating bird seed and tofu, well, yeah, you've just drastically reduced your calories and you, you're exercising. So you're literally improving the physiology and the chemistry, even the physical architecture of your muscle in ways that improves your health. My talk here at the Phylex conference was on the gut microbiome, and we now understand that, not so surprisingly, when you start eating well and exercising more, it actually favorably improves 
the uh, gut microbiome in ways that not only improves health, but protects our health from disease. So yeah, with social media, I think it's, it has come down to, it's, it's a, it's a war of words and it's really the, the videos and the memes and all these emotional posts that are the weapons being used by number one marketers more than anything. I think marketing has single-handedly and for many years, long before social media has really perverted health into a business. That's it. And marketers, again, their number one goal is not to educate or inform you. Their goal is to make money. But there are a lot of other people out there who they're just crusaders because they believe that XYZ diet helped them. So, but they're very ignorant to the fact that like, they're not separating out cause and effect from coincidence. So good example, I had a woman leave a comment on my HCG diet post. Now, if you're not familiar with the HCG diet, it's only 500 calories. So it's extremely low. I mean, once you go below around 1200 calories or so, that's when you run the risk of nutritional inadequacy. So it's possible that the diet's not going to have enough nutrients just, just to sustain health. So yet when you put somebody on these diets that are 500 calories, that's extremely low. And but this woman, she said, I lost all this weight and it was great and I feel awesome. And But she also said that in addition to doing the HCG diet, she also was exercising and she was eating lots of fruits and veggies. And so she was basically making lifestyle changes. So she was, the thing that astonished me is she was unable to see how her hard work with all the exercise and changing her eating. And that's hard for a lot of people to do. And not only that, to sustain it. So her, all this hard work that she did, she didn't even give any credit to that. She was very quick to assign all of the, all of the benefits and all these improvements to the HCG diet, which has actually been debunked by evidence, by scientific evidence going back as far you know, into this into the 1970s. But that's we see a lot of that where old science keeps getting recycled and regurgitated and they handpick uh, bits and bobs out of it and they just plug it into their marketing machine. And we often see companies as well who will put a whole stack of, of journal articles. They, they go online. They go into Medline or PubMed and they'll get a whole bunch of journal articles that are seemingly related to whatever it is they're selling. But when you actually look at the list of references and you chase them down and you read those references, they have nothing to do whatsoever with the product. So what they're doing is relying on the ignorance of their customers and knowing that the customers don't have the ability to read science, number one, like a proper ugly journal article using science ease and they get away with it and people they'll be on social media and saying things like no but look at all look at this stack of research and you know but i saw it on tv and so tv validates their views and what they see on social media and if you ask them for evidence they'll they'll post a youtube clip or they'll put a meme or something so you can imagine the frustration even to the extent that just recently there was a a protest of scientists actually standing up and saying, hey, look, you know, we're not the bad guys here. So they're standing up and saying, look, you know, you, you need to respect the scientific method because you're all getting hoodwinked by a lot of really dodgy and uh, dubious dealers out there. So it's a, it's a fear, a really a fear of science. I think it is a fear of science and humans tend to fear what they don't understand. And one of the things that, that you and I have talked about before this podcast is that even 
without talking about uh, the health side yet, if we take it a couple steps back, people are distrustful of government in general. Because And look at especially places like the United States where there's a massive middle class and the middle class is actually getting pushed further and further down the, the social ladder, so to speak, you know, as the, the wealthier get wealth, the wealthy get wealthier and the middle class get pushed further and further down. So there is a tremendous amount of distrust, first off, towards the government. And then when you take that one step further, now you have government health agencies. And government health agencies often tend to hire, and rightfully so, they hire someone who's trained in the sciences. How do they get trained in the sciences? They go to universities. And then, of course, you can see where people say, oh, these are these evil scientists. They were trained in universities and big pharma paid for all of their training. And, you know, so there's there's this huge distrust of, I don't want to use a distrust of authority, but I think it's this distrust of the man. They're always trying to keep us down and they're always trying to screw us. And look, it does happen. It is absolutely true that there there is collusion between government and industry and, and those things do exist, but it's not... It's not as um, it's not that every little thing that comes down that comes down the road is out to try to screw you over. So myself, I have absolutely zero conflicts of interest. I don't work for any pharmaceutical company. I don't get paid any honorarium or anything by any pharmaceutical company. Yet I've been called a shill, and you just want to prescribe drugs. And I said, well, no, I've got a PhD. I'm not a medical practitioner. <laughs> so I'm trained in the sciences, but I'm not a medical practitioner. So. And look, I often say in my talks as well and in my writings, I said, look, I have no kindling toward love affair with the pharmaceutical industry. And I don't agree that everybody needs to be pumped full of pharmaceutical meds. However, from a clinical standpoint, and I've worked in cardiac rehab for a number of years, and there are times where when a person goes to a doctor, the doctor says, look, unless you get your blood pressure down, and I'm talking now, like you are at extremely high risk for a heart attack. So they might put them on blood pressure lowering medications to reduce their immediate risk. And in doing so, it gives that person an opportunity to make lifestyle changes that can actually help naturally reduce their blood pressure. And then over time, they can wean them off of the medications. So again, that would be what I would call judicious and responsible use of medications, not just arbitrarily pumping people full of medications just to make big pharma richer. So I guess to really make my point on that, we see a lot of this type of thinking and it, but my observations is that it stems first back to government and then government down to government health agencies and government health agencies have links with universities and then again, medical schools and big pharma and all, and it just goes on and on and on. And again, to be fair, there are improprieties that do take place. However, I can find equally as many improprieties with the supplement industry in particular. Going back to 1994, there was a law passed in the United States by Senator Orrin Hatch. And Senator Orrin Hatch is the representative from the state of Utah, which just happens to be a massive pro-supplement state. And at that time, this legislation was approved. And basically, the gist of it was a company is allowed to sell supplements to people without having to prove first that those supplements are safe, effective, pure, or that the potency of the product as it's listed on the label is actually what's in the product. And so they've done exposés on this and they found that the supplements people were buying had none of the active ingredient 
or they had extremely high amounts of the active ingredient. So they, there was no standardization. So people will be quick to say, ooh, evil pharmaceuticals. I'm not defending pharmaceuticals. I'm just stating it as it is. You have a known quantified amount of active ingredient in a pharmaceutical medication. However, a lot of the supplements, it's still the Wild West, not just in the States, but here in Australia as well. We get supplements imported from overseas that have been shown to be adulterated and uh, these fat burning pills that have been adulterated and have basically have meth put in them and it's not labeled correctly it's illegal and in fact it's dangerous if somebody has if, if somebody's obese and they've got diabetes and they're already at a significantly elevated risk of having a heart attack if they take these types of pills and they've got high blood pressure and all these underlying health problems to begin with that medication is going to send their heart rate and blood pressure through the roof and potentially could kill them so there are very real safety concerns when it comes to things like for example dietary supplements that have this massive legal loophole to push their cash cow through interesting bill a lot to ponder now I feel like I'm about to toss a grenade here when I when I ask you. You you did allude earlier to talking about social media to David Avocado Wolf as he's known. So, catch David Avocado Wolf. Uh, <laughs> certainly no friend of mine. I think he he's the he's the thorn in, in the bottom of my foot. And uh, it's I think the thing about David Avocado Wolf is first that he he doesn't have any health qualifications. He's not trained. He has his views and he has his opinions, but as I said earlier in the podcast, he's not qualified to even have an opinion. That's the first thing. He's not trained in science and he, he just makes things up that are just patently false and some of which are things like gravity is a toxin and when you turn yourself upside down, you take gravity, which is a toxin, and you turn it into a medicine. So I mean really absurd things, but he just goes out there on these esoteric benders and um, so he... And his big thing on social media is that he posts a lot of memes. So he creates these images that are oftentimes, they're very powerful, in fact. And that seems to be what resonates with people. But he creates a lot of links, just much like what supplement marketers do. He creates links that actually have no merit, but he leads people down a certain way of thinking. And he, then he stops short and lets people connect the dots. Other things that he's done as well to really push his own agenda. He steals people's content online. So, for example, a video, it could be on, I've, I've seen so many different videos he's, he's taken from other people. So, say somebody's produced a video on, it could be nutrition or whatever. And at the very end of the video, he's taken their video and he edits it and puts his own branding at the end and essentially takes credit for it. And so that sort of thing. There's a lot of dubious and dodgy tactics that he's been using on social media. And I think the last time I checked out his page, he must have had something like 10 million followers. So it's it's not insignificant. So I guess to put it into perspective, it's not just that people believe a lot of misleading and false information online, but the fact that people like David Avocado Wolf and the Food Babe, who, and I can talk about her in a minute, but people like David Avocado Wolf are, in fact, public health menaces. They undo, and they, they undo a lot of the hard work that public health and epidemiology researchers have done over the years and have actively, you know, they've 
these this research has actually put out really solid public health messages. So he's also been part of the anti-vaccine movement and, you know, it's links to autism. And well, <laughs> you know, again, it, it's something that, again, has really undone a lot of hard work. And uh, in my talk on Friday, I talked about the gut microbiome and there's new and emerging research that that talks about autism and specific substances that are found in the bloodstream of people with autism that are linked to the gut microbiome or the, the gut bacteria. So here we are, we've been throwing vaccines under the bus. And you know, just because it is true, there are kids that turn up with uh, autism, and but is it cause and effect or is it coincidence? Did they already have something going on underneath? You know, again, we don't know for sure, but you know, the, the research is is conclusive that says, look, vaccines are not the direct cause of autism. But again, when I talk about things like the gut microbiome, these this new and emerging research actually informs us and says that, well, maybe there are more pieces to the puzzle. And so going back to people like David Avocado Wolf, and even here within Australia, we have we have our own homegrown quacks here that promote a lot of rubbish information. You know, this is a country where you've got people who are lawyers that are writing diet books that have zero scientific training. You've got journalists that are writing books bashing sugar and carbohydrate, but not putting it into context. And that's a whole separate, that's a whole separate conversation in and of itself. But the, the fact of the matter is you have people who have been very good at writing a bunch of rubbish and then packaging it in such a way that it's very you know, it's, it's very easy to digest, pun intended. <laughs> and, uh, and they sell a lot. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a sales business. Here within Australia, we've got Pete Evans, who has, again, gone out and done a lot of bashing of science. And Pete himself has not gone to a university and trained in the hard sciences. Pete has his opinions, all well and good, but are those opinions qualified? And the short answer to that is absolutely not. Yes, he's famous. And that, that opens up another can of worms with regards to the cult of celebrity. Gwyneth Paltrow's got all kinds of things like some sort of, uh, you know, vaginal cleansing balls or something. <laughs> so this is how absurd it is. But people are actually looking at these actors and these reality TV people as having more knowledge than they actually do. Yes, he's got a following. Yes, he's got a Facebook page. But much of the information is very is cult-like, if nothing else. And look, to be fair, I mean, on a personal level, I don't have any issues with Pete. I mean, I'm talking, this is strictly from a professional standpoint. He probably would be fun to go out and have a beer with. But I really don't think I want the guy giving nutrition information that could potentially, number one, be harmful, which was the case with that book that they were going to release the recipe with the, the bone broth for infants or something. But the other side of it is is that he's undoing a lot of hard work in the area of public health epidemiology, which is protecting us. And you know, number three, it's just it's sowing the seeds of distrust towards science. So I guess... Well, looking at all of this, the question that arises is, what can we do about it? And look, I think that's the million-dollar question, and it's something that, to be really transparent, I mean, I find it frustrating, and it's almost it's it's gotten to the point that it's with. And I, again, I'm going to keep pointing the finger at social media because I think that's a massive part of it. There are a lot of people that have their own websites, but they promote much of their information from their websites on social media. So. 
it keeps going back to that. So, I mean, until we are able to, how do I phrase this? I, I often say the inmates have taken control of the prison, and that's kind of what it seems like. It's really gotten out of control where there's a lot of bad people out there who have their own agendas, and sometimes they're well-intentioned. I get that. So, And that makes me feel bad when I have to burst somebody's bubble and say, well, look, I know you believe it, and it's good business, but it's actually not good science. So there needs to be some sort of curation of the information on Facebook. You know, I like the democratization of information, but what I'm seeing firsthand is the systematic dismantling of science and even my own profession. I'm watching the the kind of the de-evolution of my profession, and I've been in this field a really long time now, I mean, well over 25 years. So in that time, I've seen all these changes. How do we get it back? I mean, you could say, well, we need to start educating our children in school. We need to start teaching critical thinking. But these are really long-term strategies. Like, you can't fix this overnight. It's gotten so out of control that the, the little ripples that initially started with social media have turned into a tsunami. And look, Facebook itself, one of the things that I have come to learn is that much like Google, Google has an algorithm which it, it chooses what's going to be on, say, Google page one. Well, Facebook, even though you might have 2,000, 3,000 people on your Facebook page, Google curate, I'm sorry, Google, um, Facebook curates that information in such a way that the algorithm is such that it, it will feed you more information or information that's like what you usually click on. So if you're if you're a conspiracy theorist and you think that the man is out to screw you over and try to keep you sick and big pharma wants to poison you with meds if that's the sort of thing if those are the sort of things that you believe and you click on those sorts of things all the time then you'll tend to get more of that in your feed if you're someone who's more of a uh, a sympathetic friend to science then you'll get more responsible and reliable information coming from backed up sources coming into your feed Shout, shouting into an echo chamber they they say don't they yeah that would be exactly right you're shouting into an echo chamber and a lot of times we're seeing people now and especially around the u.s elections people saying basically if you don't agree with my viewpoints screw you i don't care if you're family or not i'm going to delete you i'm going to block you so that's how people have done their own part to curate their information so you know when when it comes to having a a debate about what constitutes responsible health, nutrition, fitness information, we need to have some common ground. And again, if we go back to that quote that I gave at the very beginning of the podcast, the what is science? It's just a systematic, logical way of reviewing nature and teasing out, well, what the heck's going on here? So, so there is, we have to have common ground first. And that common ground ultimately has to be science or some sort of platform that we can all come together on. When the arguments on social media turn emotional and it resort, everyone's down in the mud and resorting to name-calling, then we're not going to move forward. It's actually going to stay exactly where it is. Uh, look, I think the other thing that could actually help stem the flow of misinformation would be there needs to be stricter, much, much stricter laws in not just in Australia. I mean, New Zealand, the States, the UK, Canada, any any major industrialized nation around the country. We need to have better regulation of things like supplements and body wraps, but not just the products themselves, but the marketing claims. They're, I mean, they, they should be held to a high standard to basically, and that's just for fairness to 
consumers. And much of the articles that I write on consumer advocacy topics where I'm writing an article on, say, the HCG diet or I'm writing something on a hokey dietary supplement, much of my writing is basically says this. I don't care if you want to buy the product. I just want you to make an informed decision. This is what the company tells you. But here, here's the other side of the story that they don't want you to know. If you have that information and you still choose to buy it, that's fine. You can spend your money however you like. But if you want to be an informed consumer, then again, this is the this is the other side of the of the coin, and you've got the information. Do with it what you like. Thank you, Bill. You mentioned the consumer advocacy site that you that you write on. If listeners want to find out more about you and your work, where can they go? The most simple way to do it is just Google my name. So, but my website is drbillsukala.com.au. So D R B I L L S is in Sam U K A L A. .com.au. And then I've got a bunch of articles there that, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just a thing I do for fun more than anything. But, um, but it is, uh, I've got a few articles on there that if people want to check them out and see the type of writing that I do, then uh, they can certainly uh, yeah, check that out and send me an email if they have any questions about any products or hokey things out there or if they just want to uh, chew the fat on science. Bill, thanks again for talking to the Fitness Industry Podcast. All right. Thanks, Ali. Good to be here. For a huge range of online courses focusing on nutrition, backed by science and real facts, and fully accredited for CECs and other continuing education points, go to fitnessnetwork.com.au forward slash CECs. And remember, network members get massive discounts of up to 40% off courses.